This is Course Correction from Doha Debates. I'm Nelifa Hidayat. Each week, we've looked at one big global issue and met the people who are actively working to fix it. And this season, we've covered a lot. Globalization, plastic waste, menstruation stigma, climate change, the wage gap. I could go on. And of course, we can't solve these issues in a single podcast, nor can any single individual that we've met in the series. But together, we can keep finding new ways to move forward, mainly by asking ourselves, how can we remain open to new solutions? What might we learn from other perspectives? How can we create change in ourselves and do it together as communities, countries, and ultimately as a civilization? Getting a little personal for a second, making this podcast over the year or so, it's changed me. And so in this, our final episode, I didn't want to present some grand plan to solve all the world's problems, but to take a minute and see for myself what the sum total of all of these little journeys I've been on is. I thought I'd sit down with my friend Dr. Govinda Clayton, who I met on the set of the live Doha debates, and hash it out. He researches how to communicate and resolve conflict in some pretty extreme situations, like inside refugee camps and in the midst of civil war. What I work on normally is the hardest cases. So it's the cases in which you're trying to produce change in individuals and groups in the most difficult of circumstances. But of course, all of the different technologies and understandings and theories that I use every day equally just apply in everyday life. That's why I thought he'd be a good person to help me look back on some of the tricky topics we've covered in this series, to help me make sense of what I've learned. Yeah, absolutely. I think hopefully from the things that I've listened to so far, some of the processes that you've been going through, I can help you understand a little bit. All right, so you said you've listened to a lot of the show. Sure, sure. What do you think about this idea of really putting yourself in the centre of these like gigantic issues? I'm not going to be able to clean the world's oceans. Okay, but I can maybe use less plastic that does the polluting, right? So how important is it to put yourself in the heart of some of these gigantic global issues? So I think two things. I mean, firstly, all change begins at home, as it were. And so I think it's certainly really important to for each of us as individuals to take on these challenges and to and to think individually about how we can produce change around these these big, important issues. But Often a great way of learning is hearing other people as an example and the changes and the, the transformations that have occurred in them. So I think that's what I've enjoyed about the podcast so far. What's your favourite episode? What's your favourite bit? Tell oh, me. I mean, unquestionably the first episode with your mum. I mean, I just think that was just absolutely fantastic. You get upset, you get sad. Why? Because we have been through horrific trauma. Mum, get my bish now. Bye. I mean, it was emotional for me, so I can only imagine how emotional it was for you. Yeah. But it, for me, it really showed how a good conversation can really unlock a new understanding of a certain issue. And so I'm really actually interested to hear from you about what, what were the kind of fundamental learnings that you had and how did that change you and your understanding of who you are? Yeah, I have to say, in my entire life, my mum and I had never had that conversation. And the reason we didn't was because... Ugh... <laughs> There's so much pain in, 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 in what happened when I was a child in Afghanistan and a refugee in Pakistan and the journey to getting to, to the UK 
to London where I live now, there's so much pain and confusion involved in it. And then there's trying to understand it as a 31-year-old adult versus experiencing it as a five-year-old kid. I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in my life. This is the hardest interview I have ever done. Because you get emotion you too. Yeah. When I get emotion, you get emotion. Well, That's because, not easy for you too. And you maybe remember some of little yeah, things. Yeah, I remember, I remember sounds. I remember sounds more than I remember anything else. I, when I, I remember the sound of the rockets. Yeah. I remember the feeling of shaking earth. Yeah. I remember you always holding me very tight. Over my under, mouth. Under your uh, burqa. Under your burqa. I sometimes had to put my hand in your mouth because of the bombs. Yeah, I because remember that. Of... I remember that. I remember. Uh, it's it's going to be, for me, like a life's work to try and unpick that kind of trauma. But talking to my mum about it, you know, it was hard. That interview, Gov, lasted four hours. <laughs> Because we had to keep stopping and having a little cry. Because <laughs> it just, it felt like she was putting in colours and shades and smells and tastes to a situation that I had almost sanitised in order to be able to live with it. I, ca I can't explain to you the journey that I went on in those four hours as, as in a way to learn to accept that I, my perspective and what I think happened isn't always what happened and we are all just little bundles of confusion and trauma and mess and we just have to be so open and accepting of one another and the hardest thing for me to do was to kind of put my mum through that. What I'm really interested in is how you showed up differently for your mum in that discussion. So what was it about that day that you showed up differently that your mum was willing to kind of share? I wasn't going to do my usual thing of telling my mum, oh, no, 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 I know this and you don't know that. I came to it very much wanting to listen, literally sat elbow to elbow with her, which we don't really do so much. We're not super huggy, you know, touchy-feely type of relationship. The relationship between me and my mother is very respectful. But in that moment, it was more just just feeling each other's pain in a way. So I didn't even think about it, but you're absolutely right when I hear myself in that tape it's a version of me that I very rarely open up to the world in a way this is so important in terms of learning from other people that so often we enter into a conversation and we're not really listening to what the other person's saying yeah. we're just waiting for the opportunity to speak and conversations and relationships can just be transformed when we transform our listening so when we enter into a conversation with the intention to genuinely learn something Often magic happens. Does that make sense? It, it makes a little too much sense. How, um, how, is it, how has it changed? So having just having had that conversation, how has it changed your relationship with your mum? Do you know I call her every week now? And like I never used to. And also the conversations we have, it's different now. There's a level of understanding that underpins my relationship with her. It's, it's almost like we've leveled up as a mother and daughter. Look, I want to move the conversation on a little bit. And I want to tell you a little bit about my favourite challenge. Of all the challenges that I've done so far, the one that's really resonated with me was the water challenge, in which I try to live on less than 50 litres of water per day. And that includes everything. Washing, flushing the toilet, cleaning, uh, washing my clothes, everything. Okay, it's somewhere like 8 o'clock. 
In the morning, I've just gotten up to, to start the first day of the challenge. Um, and I've already failed, you'll be surprised to know. I just totally subconsciously flushed the toilet this morning. And then as I was getting up to brush my teeth, I let the water run for like a good 30 seconds. So I don't know how much liters of water I've already completely wasted, um, but that is not a great start. I guess the reason that I found the water challenge so crucial, because after a week, this little idea, this little seed that planted in my brain, hey, let me think about how much water I use. This is so random now dominates my life. I did that challenge months ago, months and months ago, to this day when I see people handing out free tap water in restaurants and then no one drinks it, like I just cringe inside and it, it, it literally changed my life and how I behave now. And to me, it was just a crucial moment in trying to understand my impact in a global context. That's amazing considering how terribly you did in the challenge. <laughs> All right, call me out, why don't you? <laughs> so, so here's a question then. To what extent does that influence your day-to-day -day life now? Yes, I failed miserably in the water challenge. Thank you for reminding me. But what it did do is that seed that it planted now means that I, I've tried, at least, to change my behaviour in ways that I think are, are better. So this is going to sound so silly but almonds gov almonds i miss almonds but they are so water intensive that i can't justify like buying almond milk and you know what that's like for a vegan it's basically like <laughs> our bread and butter i wish i didn't have this a bit of information i wasn't aware almonds were bad almonds are terrible yeah, oh, for God water you have it. to stop eating almonds so that's been something but the, the point is is that i've tried to make adjustments and changes every step of the way because i think I, I view it now as my responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's so awesome. And the trouble is, is the world's like a really complicated place and our brains can only process a certain amount of information at any one time. And so you've shifted your behaviour to the fact that you now when you think about things like almond, you think about it very differently and much more consciously. And so I think that's a really good example of taking on these types of challenges is, is shifting your patterns, thinking about things differently. And how do you think that we can do that without having to make podcasts, Gov? <laughs> how can we interrupt our patterns with our... Yeah, like, like you know, not only that, I mean, in one of the episodes that was really, really difficult for me to make was when I went to speak to my best mate, Kathy, who thinks very, very differently to me. She's pro-Brexit. She thinks immigration should be curbed. Um, she misses the good old days of, of what it was like to grow up in Britain. I'm going to play some tape. Well, at least you aren't popping out seven kids and living on benefits, eh? Do you believe that? Yeah. I don't know how to convince you that we're not all bad. I know you're not all bad. <laughs> I'm not saying you're all bad. I just have an issue with people not fitting in. I just miss... Britishness, and I feel like it's being lost. I called her a racist. What did I say? This is Kathy, and she's a massive racist. <laughs> Do you not remember that? Do you not remember that? Did I really say that? Yes. And I was like thinking, what the hell? It's and it's only now that I'm beginning to realise that in that situation, I'm wrong. 
because she was trying to have a conversation with me and engage with me and I just shut her down. So I'm wondering how would we use some of the skills that you teach people? How can I learn to snap out of that habit of like thinking I'm right, my perspective right, everyone else is wrong? So first of all, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't put it in the language of right and wrong. I mean, it's just not really workable if you want to have friends and get along with people. Yep. Perhaps surprisingly, information often doesn't really make that much difference to people. So providing positions and additional facts actually can often be not that effective at changing people's really? views. It actually makes them double down on their positions. It actually makes them stick to those positions even harder. Yeah, and it's actually blowing my mind. So then how do you change how if you think that what you're doing is going to be a net benefit to the world how can you try and persuade people to to follow those those guidelines and those those changes that you've embraced well i mean first of all is like listening which kind of sounds counterintuitive that like you change people's minds by listening but people are very rarely open to engaging with new understandings if they don't feel heard in the first place so if you tell somebody they're wrong about something and they should think about it differently normally that will kind of rub up against their identity in some way and cause them to to lock down their emotions whereas actually if you're open to sharing and hearing about why they have their understanding that might give you a ticket into understanding what's leading them to have this view and then once you've understood where they are and what they're thinking, you can then start to think about ways in which you can communicate information to, to give people an out, as it were. So rather than telling people that their mind are wrong, you can say you understand their position, but give them new information that might cause them to change their understanding in a particular I love that. way. That's really, really helpful, actually. As a mate, like you've helped me to understand how to really position myself differently in the world, because I love to think of myself as a woke super tolerant you know totally get it kind of person but in reality I was intolerant in so many ways and I judged people almost all the time based on what I thought their biggest problem or biggest mistake is right whereas having spent time with you and hearing you talk about these things almost a few of that has been broken down but I've had an effect on you haven't I <laughs> oh in, in too many ways indeed <laughs> Indeed. So I guess what you're referring to is me recently becoming a vegan, which uh, I mean, we, I think it's, it's an interesting example about how you can and you can't produce change. And so I've been a vegetarian all of my life and uh, I've known for the last probably two or three years that ethically I'm very much in line with with a kind of vegan diet and I've had troubles with consuming animal products in different ways. But I've never really had the incentive to take that additional step. And actually, once when we were sitting down and having dinner and, and you set out for me, you know, your own personal journey, you've been in that in that area and didn't try and pressure or force or or guilt trip me into a certain action. It was actually very effective in shifting my viewpoint in that area. However, on other occasions when I've been hanging out with you and I've seen you applying the Please same kind of technique to, to various other people, you've been far further along the other end of the spectrum. So you've been you have been trying to. Um, force your views onto other people and the effect that that has had has been far less effective so i think in a way it's a really nice example of how effective we can all be and you can be as a communicator when you take the time to sit down and explain to people in an in a in a detailed and understanding way to show another side of the story whereas i think when you challenge people and you try and push them to take your way of thinking then that's very unlikely to produce positive change no whereas I've been a vegan five, six years now, whereas before I wouldn't have seen that. I'd have been like, I'm right, they're wrong. Now I completely agree with you. 
just because I think I'm right doesn't mean that the other person doesn't deserve respect and doesn't deserve my time and the energy that it takes to try and convince them. If I'm trying to persuade someone of changing their behavior or changing the way they act for what I think is is good intentions, then I've really got to put myself in their shoes. And I, and I completely see that. And just remember, I mean, change happens slowly. It's yeah. very rare that that people change their mind because of one piece of information. So to expect to produce significant change in someone's belief in a, in a single conversation is relatively unrealistic. And so it's more about what can you provide, who can you be, how can you show up with a certain listening that you give people the opportunity to explore these ideas. I love that, that you, you have to listen in order to be heard. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. really fundamental. Okay, the globalization episode. Okay, what did you think? I really want to know what you thought about it. I thought it was great. And I also got the feeling that you had quite a kind of strong connection with some of the people in the globalization episode. And you, you got quite a lot from, from the discussion and the listening that you had for them. So one of the most important moments for me was speaking to Nana, the farmer in Ghana, who just, I've never felt myself change perspective over a conversation so viscerally. Actually, let's listen to that because that was brilliant. So Nana, you actually want globalization to, to be a success. In, in Ghana, you support it. I do, 100%. Wow. I thought maybe just doing things locally was the solution, but I don't think it is. So it's, it's, it's a balance, yeah? We cannot import everything, no. And we cannot export everything. So in as much as we are promoting globalization, we should also create a balance. It was so bizarre. I was adamant to go into that interview and tell her why globalization is destroying her country and destroying her agriculture and destroying her life and she was very politely and calmly going to tell me why I was wrong and I've that transformation in one conversation and just feeling that energy was astonishing for me how was it that she showed up for you to create the space for you to have a, a kind of a new discovery in your thinking in this area she listened she was just listening very politely and then she was going to tell me what it was like in reality and it was up to me whether I take it or not and she gave me the space to change my mind. She didn't force me to do it. And these are complicated issues, right? I mean, n none of the topics that you've covered over the course of the podcast have simple solutions and there's different sides of the argument and even the different episodes interact with each other in that way. I mean, I think... The, yeah. the pressures that we've seen as a result of, of scarcity of resources such as water are one of the things that we often use as an argument against immigration. And so while we might adopt a pro-immigration stance in some context, the resource pressures might be an argument against that. And so I think there's no black and white, there's no right and wrong, but just by starting to get present to these different challenges, I think that's already an important first step in, in changing the way we act individually and as a society. One of the things that has really happened to me in the course of making these podcasts is appreciating how tiny I am <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. These are huge, intractable, ingrained, gigantic problems. Globalization, capitalism, artificial intelligence or women's sexual health and periods. These are huge issues. How optimistic are you? How, how hopeful are you that we as individuals can unlock a lot of these solutions and these changes that need to occur. I'm always an optimist.
I've dedicated most of my life trying to resolve violent conflict. That's what I spend most of my professional life doing. However, for everybody, there's a way in which you can get involved on a national or global level. And that's absolutely becoming politically active over whatever issue that is. So pick whatever issue, whichever one of these issues you covered in the podcast or whatever people care about and get politically active and engaged in that area. And that's the way in which we're more likely to see change. Absolutely. I mean, the one thing that Cause Correction has taught me is how difficult change is, but it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> God, thank you so much for coming in here and talking to me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And thanks to you for listening to this season. I've realized that no one has all the right answers. We just have to make sure we're always listening to one another in order to be heard. The world is a much more interesting place than any one perspective. And the answers to these big questions are often more surprising than we think. And that's it. That's all from Course Correction season one. We will be back. I hope if nothing else, then you've enjoyed listening and hope for nothing more than having inspired you to make a little course correction. See what I did there? That you can keep with you. My gratitude and thanks to all my guests across the many episodes. To the team at Doha Debates, Jayfit Weeks, Amjaratala and Jigameta, for setting me off on this journey. And the whole team at Transmitter Media for coming along with me. And to you, dear listener, we're not done. I'll see you very soon for season two.